The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome into No Nonsense, the Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that's 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. We would love for you to connect with us on social media. We are at No Nonsense Pod on both Twitter and Facebook. We would also love for you to subscribe to the show on whatever platform you're listening to, you're using to listen. And if you're listening on iTunes specifically, we would love for you to leave us a rating and review. We've got a fantastic show for you today. We're going to be talking with Teresa Walker of the Associated Press, the longest tenured Titans beat writer. Now, Jim Wyatt has been covering the Titans since they came to Tennessee, but he has not always been in the beat writer role. And so Teresa is the longest tenured non-affiliated uh, person that's covering or has been covering the Titans. Uh, Matias and Will, what are you guys looking forward to to talking with Teresa about today? You, you know, the fact that she's been around for so long covering the team, it's just really nice to get that perspective. I, I mean, we, we've had a lot of great guests on here, but they don't quite have or haven't had the experience with the team that she has. And I'm just really looking forward uh, to hearing her, her thoughts and some stories uh, maybe about how the team has changed over the years and, and what has changed with, with the franchise. I'm not sure how many people we've had on the podcast who know as much about the NFL as they do about the NHL. Um, and I'm a pretty big, you know, predator supporter. I've, I've really gotten into them the last few years and I enjoy watching them. So I, I'll ask hopefully a couple of questions about that and we'll kind of see how that goes, but it, it'll be really neat to talk to her, uh, but I'm sure I'll stay Titans focused. Yeah, and I think it's going to be interesting to talk to her as well about, as you maybe kind of hinted at, Will, some non-football stuff. Because obviously she knows the Titans backwards and forwards, and she knows other Nashville sports backwards and forwards. But her career in journalism and and just the things that she's done and the experiences she's had in the Nashville sports scene just make her a really interesting person to, to have a conversation like we're about to with. Yeah, and she she's covered it all, pretty much every sport. Uh, just by by way of being an AP writer, uh, you, you get assignments uh, to your desk about pretty much any sport that that's being asked of you. So being able to get that perspective, and not only about the Titans and about other teams like the Predators, the Grizzlies, and, and about other sports, I, I think it's it, it's good to have that conversation with someone so knowledgeable about sports and about really any sport 
Yeah, the cool thing is, even if you don't know her name off the top of your, top of your head, you've read her stuff before. Like, I can yeah. almost guarantee you've you've read, you know, two or three stories, almost guaranteed. And and this is also the Teresa, if you've ever watched a Mike Vrabel press yeah. conference on Facebook Live <laughs> or Periscope, this is the Teresa that gets the first question every single time. And, and Will, you were kind of talking about this before we got started. Uh, Teresa missed the first three days of, of Titans training camp because she was in Memphis covering the St. Jude Invitational Tournament with guys like Phil Mickelson and, and Rory McIlroy. So, like, top-of-the-line golfers is who she was covering this weekend. And at the beginning of every variable press conference while she was gone, Kayla Anderson from News Channel 2 here in Nashville would get the first question. But it wouldn't be her question. It would be a question that Teresa had texted her. And every time... <laughs> Vrabel would look to Kayla and say, has Teresa sent you a question? And she would read it. So we're definitely going to be asking her about how that all got started. And, and I think we're just looking forward to having her on. All right, joining us now is Teresa Walker. She covers the Titans and several other Nashville sports predators. She does Vanderbilt stuff for the Associated Press and has for many, many years. Thanks so much for joining us, Teresa. My pleasure, gentlemen. Uh, I first want to hop into, we're, we're going to start with a couple of uh, non, maybe non-football questions, I guess is what you could call them. The first question I want to ask is because I, I hopped on to the, the beat last training camp, and so I was not there when the tradition of you getting the first question at press conferences started with with Mike Vrabel. So if you could enlighten us as to how exactly that began like, did that start when he first came? How, how did that come about? Well, it didn't start immediately, that's for sure. So you kind of got in right after it started, Luke. So uh, last year during uh, the off-season program, you know, Mike Vrabel, that first time he kind of talked to us after a session, uh, David Beauclair was kind of, you know, likes to kind of get close to the court. You know, we, we used to kind of fight to jostle to see who would get the right spot closest to the coach. Uh, you know, Jeff, Jeff Fisher, you wanted to be on a certain side and, you know, that way you, you can get their ear, you can ask your question, you can make sure your recorder's picking up really well. And, you know, but now that we have that wonderful little porch there at the back of their uh, facility, you know, they, they, they've upped their game quite a bit. So, you know, now there's a little, now they've even got a brand new podium as opposed to a little mic stand with a little ledge on it for our tape recorders. And at that point, Mike Ray was like, no, 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 I want you guys in front of me. And then there were chairs added. But I honestly think that it happened. Uh, there was a late in the, in the offseason program last year, you know, print people will get a side session with, with the coach. And I'm standing there with my recorder, and uh, I'm a little tired from having covered the, uh, the Olympics last year in Korea, the Predators in the playoffs. I was ready for vacation. And, and, and I'm just standing there with my recorder one day because, you know, you can learn a lot by just listening to how a coach answers questions for the other people. And he, he interrupts and he looks at me and he goes, do you have a question? And I said, no. Uh, and I was a little grouchy that day. And I said, I don't have the ego that some of these guys have that I have to ask a bunch of questions. And he said, well, you're my new best friend. So either, you know, I, it, it seems like maybe after that it kind of started um, you know, and, and I actually asked him about it this off season. Uh, you know, AP, we managed to get Tim McGraw and Mike Vrabel together before the draft. You know, for a story that we did uh, the, the week of the draft. You know, Tim McGraw's long ties to to the Titans and, and football in Nashville, and and then Mike, you know, being the head coach now, the team hosting the draft. 
Uh, and, and as we were taking some photos, Mike kind of said, well, you know, did you tell him I gave you the first question? And I said, yes. And I have, it's the one question I probably get the most of why. And he goes, well, maybe it's just because I like you. So, you know, I'll just say this. I'll take that because that makes me feel better than the idea that, you know, I'm the longest continual beat writer for the Titans. Now, I don't travel on the road because I'm also doing Vandy, Predators, you name it. But uh, I've been there at majority of the practices, every training camp. This is my 23rd. I've covered this franchise from the instant they had boxes unloaded at CSU back in July of 97. Hi, Teresa. This is Matias here. I wanted to ask you a bit of a journalistic question. Uh, you've been covering the team since 1997. Uh, have you found that certain Titans coaches or maybe PR professionals that work for the team, have you found some of them to be more lenient or maybe more strict than any others? And has there been a certain regime that maybe you've enjoyed covering the most, be it due to ease of access or, or just more opportunities to, to talk to players and talk to coaches? Well, it certainly has changed over the, oh gosh, now I'm going to feel old, nearly quarter century. <laughs> you know, Jeff Fisher was very, very accessible, you know. Uh, you know, you could talk to his coaches uh, most of the time, you know, just let them know who you needed and you could get them. Uh, you know, when they were in Bellevue, it was challenging uh, in Bellevue just because the, the locker room was so small in the back of the uh, actual medical building. You know, people were coming in for doctor's appointments and the Titans were tucked into the back as the then Tennessee Oilers. Um, Ken Wisenhut may have been the most challenging to cover for this aspect. Uh, he, he had only been on the job a few months and there was one uh, news conference. We were in the auditorium and he, he, he called us all negative. You know, it was almost like he was calling us nattering nabobs of negativity. He didn't use that phrase, but, you know, calling us pessimistic. And it's like, um, we're Nashville media. You know, we're kind of nice. I mean, you, you, want, a, you want a rough and tumble, you know, media court, go to New York. Uh, you know, we're pretty nice. And, you know, and trust me, those, you know, that he kind of was in that tenure of the five and 27 seasons. There's a reason why he didn't last that long, what, 23 games? Um, you know, his team was struggling. And no coach likes to talk about things when things are tough. I mean, his first season, his only lone true season, uh, they went through seven different offensive tackles. So it's tough for a coach to, you know, to want to talk, you know, about all the bad stuff when, you know, when we're having to ask tough questions because, you know, it's like, who's your next offensive tackle? Who are you turning to? I mean, nobody likes those questions. Uh, now, you know, it, it, it's a little bit more maybe challenging now uh, days with uh, Mike Rabel's coach, not so much because of Rabel, although he had a great answer a couple of days ago, that you can go ahead and ask your question. I determine how I answer the question, which, you know, honestly, that's, that's, you know, that's what we expect. I mean, you're the pro. We, we'll ask the questions. You can decide how you answer it. That's, that's the way the game is played, so to speak. But, uh, you know, now they've, they've upgraded that little Mike Sand with a ledge. Now it's a podium, and it's got the Titans on there, and, you know, they're streaming. And they've been doing this for a few years, but, you know, fans can tune in and listen to us ask questions and, and, and critique. Uh, you know, there was the poll of, of the, you know, to approve or disapprove of media uh, before camp started. And one person said, I wish Teresa would ask tougher questions. And it's like, there's a challenge because, you know, when you get the first question, you know, you don't want to be throwing a high, hard one, you know, chin music at the coach, you know, to kick things off. You know, sometimes you leave the tougher questions for the end, you know, so that you can, you know, if, if somebody wants to walk off, you know, at least you, you know, you let other people ask their questions so they can do their job. Uh, yeah, this is Will. Uh, I, I love what you said about 
you know, not wanting to essentially pull the pin on a grenade and throw it behind you with the first question, because that's true. Like you can't just burn all your bridges. I also like you talked about the offensive tackles because we joke about Will Svitek a lot. And <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sure he's 10 times the athlete, you know, I've ever dreamed of being, but those are some brutal times. Um, as somebody who's covered the Predators and the Titans for a long enough time, do you think the city without PK Subban kind of misses that superstar, you know, international draw, not international, but I guess national draw? Because I, I personally don't know that Marcus Mariota or Derrick Henry will ever be that. And I think Taylor Lewan is probably the closest thing to what the Titans have. But I, I mean, right now I'm looking at Nashville and I'm trying to find the next guy to, that we're going to see on all the banners and billboards. Do you have any idea who that could be? I would say this. I do think that uh, it is a star factor that is absolutely lost. But when you've got somebody like Derrick Henry running for 99 yards and, and tying an NFL record that stood for a long, long time uh, since Tony Dorsett did it in Minnesota for the Cowboys, uh, that got attention because it was on prime time and it was the kind of thing. I mean, it was up for you know play of the year at the ESPYs uh, earlier this month uh, in July. And it, that's the kind of thing that can get attention. And he's a Heisman Trophy winner. And now Marcus, he's a Heisman Trophy winner too. But let's face it, what he does this season with Arthur Smith as offensive coordinator, all these new weapons that have been added, that may determine how much his people around the country know his name because he, he, he won a Heisman Trophy. Uh, but how much it grows will be determined strongly by the season that he has this year. Now, Taylor, you know, with his, his podcast with Little Compton, that certainly helps. And, and he's a colorful figure. But, you know, honestly, he's going to miss the first four games of the season. So that certainly doesn't help him. Yeah. One thing I wanted to ask you about is something that I don't really love talking about because it's been talked about so much. But it's the Marcus Mariota situation. But I don't want to sit here and talk about, you know, franchise tag versus long-term extension and all that. I want to kind of phrase it this way. In your experience covering the Titans, you were here with with Steve McNair, with with Vince Young. You've, You've seen the ups and downs of how a quarterback can go. Is the general reaction to Marcus Mariota of, um, you know, that he's not good enough, that he needs to step up and be better, is that an overreaction or do you think that Titans fans and the general opinion should should be more fair to him or that, that maybe there is a problem of some kind with Mariota beyond just the injuries? Because I tend to believe that it, it's not just being on the field that's the problem or not being on the field, that there needs to be more from him when he is on the field. Well, that, that's a great question. You know, it, it certainly helps when a quarterback is on the field, not missing games, not missing a game where if you win, you're in the playoffs. Um, you know, but he's also done some things. I mean, you, know, it's, you can't discount the fact that he caught his own pass for a touchdown in Kansas City, the, the block yeah. that he threw for Derrick Henry. Uh, you know, so and I remember the throw that he threaded to Andre Johnson to win the game in Detroit uh, a couple seasons ago, and you know his incredible start to his career with that first half in Tampa. You know, we've seen snippets of that he could be one of the you know a great quarterback in this league. Unfortunately, there's the 11 sack performance against Baltimore last year, so there's definitely been up and down. But yeah, you know, I, I look at this offensive cast around him. Uh, at least now in training camp, and it just, it, you know, looking at the numbers, the potential seems to be there for him to have the most 
help that he's had on offense. But quarterbacks take all the blame, you know. Um, you know, whether it was Jake Locker, you know, who just could not stay healthy and then ends up retiring when his contract's up with the Titans. And, you know, Vince Young, who, you know, his career really didn't do anything at all uh, after, you know, the Titans let him go. So, you know, there, those, those two memories, I think, are kind of lingering. And all quarterbacks who play for the Titans for at least another 10 years easily are going to be measured against another quarterback – uh, the late Stephen McNair, number nine, you know, the, the toughness, the big games, the big plays, and that's going to be, a, you know, you're going to be measured against that, uh, you know, for, for a while. You know, you're going to maybe have to have some, you know, churning of the fan base, so to speak, to maybe erase that. Or, you know, Marcus goes out and has that great year this year and gets the new contract and, and, and suddenly now becomes the new generation's quarterback. So, uh, it, it is a challenge, and, but your quarterback in the NFL, you're going to get an awful lot of attention all the time. Uh, as an AP writer, you're, you're sometimes assigned with with jobs for, for any sport, really. You've, you've covered the Titans, of course, the Predators, the Grizzlies, college football, college basketball, golf, you, you name it, really. Uh, is there any specific sport or team that you find to be more enjoyable to cover games for or practices? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, probably the Titans, and for this reason. You know, yes, we can go out starting uh, in a few days and watch Vanderbilt football uh, for their during their training camp. Uh, you can go shoot practices for the Predators are open during the postseason, I mean, you know, which is unheard of uh, in, in major sports. But uh, for the Titans, training camp is probably the best time because – uh, you, you, you get to go out there and you're sweating and you get to see guys working their way up and down the, the depth chart or earning more play time and things like that. Uh, that's, that's a lot of fun. As much as I hate the sweating and, and working on my suntan every August, uh, I, I enjoy that the most because NFL is my first love when it comes to sports. You know, I'm old enough that uh, I was watching – Bob Greasy, when he had glasses playing for the Dolphins, and the Dolphins had a pool with a Dolphin in the end zone uh, back in the early 70s. So uh, I, I just love watching the NFL. But that said, uh, the beauty of my job is I do get a break. I'm not following every single minute detail in the offseason for the Titans because then I, I have the Predators. I have Vanderbilt basketball and, and, and the Grizzlies and things like that. So that definitely keeps me from ever getting bored. With training camp, I think people have a tendency to get sucked into one particular play or one player who's having kind of a good stretch of practices. How do you figure out what to cover and what's actually important versus a lot of the other noise and a lot of the other buzz behind undrafted free agents and late round guys who probably aren't going to do anything but who've had pretty good camps? How do you pick what to cover? It isn't easy, and and trust me, being back on uh, uh, just back from covering the golf the World Golf Championships in Memphis, that's what I spent that first day doing. It's like, okay, what do I want to watch today? Uh, and I'm, I stocked up before training camp, so I I had stories from when Marcus spoke on Friday that moved on Saturday. I had a story on the secondary that I moved on Sunday. So it's like I I don't have to watch Marcus closely right now. I don't have to watch the secondary because I I, you know, I know what they've got. So uh, trying to watch some of the offensive lines, see who's, you know, how much is Dennis Kelly working with the ones, you know, and Taylor Lewan with the twos, 
pending his suspension, uh, looking at the running back rotation and, and seeing who's working at right guard you know, and, and, and watching the receivers because that's the thing. As we mentioned, that offensive cast improvement for Mariota, you know, can Corey Davis take that next step? And, and you know, he got a lot of defensive attention last year with the, uh, the woes in that uh, receiving core. Uh, so can he take that step and take advantage of the fact that Blaney Walker's back, Adam Humphreys is here, A.J. Brown when he gets healthy, you know, so, you know, wanting to see how he's reacting to that. So I, I've spent a lot of time there, but it, it is. And I have to put together a story chart for the month of August. And so I might be, you know, suddenly say, okay, you know what, I'm going to go look only today at, you know, Rashawn Evans. I want to see how he's doing or Landry. And so I try to chart that and rank. I triage my story list for, for August. I try to figure out, okay, these are the stories people want to be reading about first. Uh, you know, Derrick Henry gets back on the field. That will scrap whatever plan I had that day. He'll suddenly become the story. And when I do see him back on the field, yes, I'll be watching him intently. The same with A.J. Brown. And, you know, and it's tough not to cast an eye to the other field with Jarrell Casey, Jeffrey Simmons, you know, and Johnny Smith working their way back. And wondering, as I asked Mike Vrabel when I got back, you know, how much do you look over it there at Jeffrey Simmons and wonder, only being a human if you do, when will he be available to you? Is it, you know, December next year? So it's not easy because, you know, as soon as you figure out, I'm going to watch this today, then all of a sudden you hear a yell and somebody's done something uh, on the other end of the field in a drill, and it's like, what did I just miss? And, you know, is it Ladarius Wiley getting a scoop and score or, you know, big interception by, uh, you know, uh, Almani Hooker uh, on a play that was broken up by Malcolm Butler? And that's the challenge because you got, you know, you have so much going on, and the instant you want to look at one thing, you have to look somewhere else. That's the beauty of training camp when the practices are open. That way I've got like 10 other eyes because everybody's tweeting. And it's like, okay, let me scroll through Twitter to see what I just missed so I can catch up. I want to ask you a question about sort of the NFL in general. As we get closer to the preseason, that being the actual four preseason games, do you think that four preseason games are worth it at this point? Because especially after watching last year's preseason, not just with the Titans, but with teams around the NFL continuing to not let their starters play in the preseason, uh, you know, I've talked to Mike Vrabel about this before, this idea of do preseason games actually matter when it comes to making final roster decisions, and he always kind of leans toward an answer of, well, you know, it's more about what they do in practice and that kind of thing. And I'm, I'm not saying the preseason has no value, because I certainly think it does, but is it becoming a time where the NFL just needs to say, okay, doing this four times is becoming pointless? Well, with the CBA negotiations for the next deal that's going to replace after 2020 season, that's absolutely going to be a point of negotiation. You know, Roger Goodell and a few other owners have kind of been talking about how they see 18 games coming. Then you've got somebody like uh, Mark Murphy with the Packers saying, I'm not so sure about that or at least not with the proposal of limiting players to 16 of the 18 games, it's, it's going to be something that's up for negotiation. And let's be honest, fans aren't happy because, you know, they're stuck paying for two home preseason games. And, you know, if you get the first game, you, you know, Joe Flacco is not playing for the uh, Denver Broncos in their preseason opener. Uh, how many times do we see the starters either not play in the first one or they're coming off the field after, you know, even a four-snap series? Uh, you, you're just not getting the value there if you're a fan. 
and it's going to be up to the NFL and the players to find find either the number, and it, it, it could be two because honestly, you know, with the way the whole season is now, the whole year, players are training and learning and practicing during the offseason program through training camp, uh, even with the reduction in the current CBA. To you know, there's no two days anymore, and you know, so you're getting less practice time with them, but. You know, it's a violent game, and trying to keep people healthy is such a challenge. And you know, I, you know, knowing that CTE and, and and trying to keep players healthy is also a big focus. It's just it's just tough to see that changing immediately. But I can guarantee you this: if it does, it's going to be because uh, ownership and players are, are going to be making more money eventually. Now that I've gotten uh, my journalism questions out of the way, I want to focus on the on-field stuff a little bit. Uh, there's a small contingent of fans out there that that believe Corey Davis is, is somehow a bust, but he avoided injuries uh, and played all 16 games last season and put up 900 yards despite several quarterbacks playing for him, throwing him the ball, and, and a good amount of offensive dysfunction. Uh, he seems to be looking very good at practice, at training camp from from all accounts. What do you think is the next step in his development this season and going forward? Well, and for the people thinking he's a bust, uh, just remember this. Delaney Walker was out last year. Rashard Matthews asked mm-hmm. to be released after only three catches. And, you know, who do we think defenses were focusing on last season, especially after his uh, overtime catch against Philadelphia and his great performance against the Patriots where he just kind of owned Stephen Gilmore. So uh, he now has other people. I'm expecting him to have uh, the kind of statistical year that people will look at and say, that's why he was taken at the number five pick overall. He's, he's the number one receiver for this Tennessee Titans team. And the biggest reason is going to be this. Delaney Walker is going to be available. Adam Humphreys, you know, last year, Corey Davis, Taylon Taylor, Tajay Sharp were essentially your receiving core, and they were all essentially in their second year in the NFL. So, you know, you can talk about quarterbacks making receivers better, receivers helping out their quarterbacks. At a certain point, defenses know who they need to cover, and until somebody else beats them and, and makes them pay for it, you know, we saw Taylon Taylor make a couple of long catches. It's just not enough consistency there, though, to make them say, you know what, we got to spend some more attention on this guy, too. Uh, so the, more weapons is going to help Corey Davis look so much better this year, and, and I'm not the only one thinking that. And When you watch him at practice, he had a really great one-handed catch uh, at practice, uh, and, and as Taylor Lawrence said, write that down. Corey Davis, one-handed catch. And he went up in the air, and he's showing the physical ability that he has. And, and there's some people who think that he might be the most talented receiver in the AFC South. Now the challenge is uh, for the Titans and Davis, him just putting together the resume to back that up. I think this will be the last question. Um, the, there's a lot of conversation about how the Titans lost Brian Arakpo and Derek Morgan, and I think they're – they had great careers. I think they were great locker room influences. I, I think the world of them as, as people, and that I'm sure they're great. My issue is they played over 1,100 snaps, and they combined for just two sacks. The game isn't all about sacks, but in passing league, it is trending that way. I, I almost see their retirements as addition by subtraction, and this really feels like a year where guys like Harold Landry and Sharif Finch can really take off and develop. 
Am I crazy for thinking that it, it's almost all upside there? No, and and I completely agree with you. It, it, as much as Dean Peace and, and Mike Vrabel said, well, we're asking Ratko and Morgan to do some things, and you know, almost sounded like they were containing. No coach is going to turn down a guy beating somebody one on one and going and getting a sack. You know, they 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 were having to you know scheme up. You know, there's a reason why Logan Ryan had a handful of sacks last year because they were having to do different things to get pressure on the quarterbacks. Now that said. Morgan, you know, was injured early, you know, fought through things to, you know, to even get on the field at times last year. You know, so that that's a credit to absolutely that experience and voice in the locker room. But Harold Landry's second year, he's worked hard this offseason. You can he looks different, especially in the upper chest, you know, so expecting more from him. Sharif Finch is a guy who, you know, has gotten some work with the first team as well. Then you have Cameron Wake, who while he's thirty seven goodness uh he looks he looks like he's a guy who can still get to the quarterback and again if he gets two sacks then he's matched what two starters did last year so uh you've got those options we've heard a lot of possible talk maybe does Rashawn Evans get into that pass rush mix at some point but uh yes it it feels like that pass rush should be better uh and and I I tell you it's not going to be what it is when Jeffrey Simmons is lining up inside next to Darrell Casey but if they can provide any extra oomph over what they had last year at those spots, then guess what? That's going to give Jarrell Casey a little bit more breathing room on the inside because they're suddenly opponents are going to have to start paying attention to somebody else. Teresa, thank you so much for hopping on with us. This has been a fantastic conversation. Uh, we really appreciate it. My pleasure, and, and the best, uh, best of luck to you all in this venture. Yeah, well, I'll see you back at uh, St. Thomas Sports Park tomorrow. Sounds good. We'll be sweating to the 90s. Absolutely. <laughs> you can follow Teresa on Twitter, at Teresa M. Walker. Uh, that was a fantastic conversation. Uh, Teresa was an awesome guest. We're so glad that she could join us. One thing before we close out the episode that I do want to talk about is something that, that Will, you ended on with Teresa, and it's the Titans pass rushers. As you said, Will, two sacks last year total from Derek Morgan and Brian Arakpo, the previous starters. In comes Sharif Finch, Cameron Wake, and Harold Landry. Harold Landry is a big guy that's probably a breakout candidate. But what I want to talk about as we close out is, what do you guys think is the appropriate way to balance Sharif Finch and Cameron Wake? Because through the first little bit of of, of training camp, both of those guys have been alternating who gets the first, first team reps. And which I think a lot of people expected. But is this a thing where it's just, okay, Cameron Wake's going to play third downs and Sharif Finch is going to play first and second down? Or do you, in a pass-happy league, alternate it a little differently than that? I think I think Wake is going to play more than, than people think. I, I think he's going to be counted on more more as, as a run-stopping guy than, than most people probably assume. I, I know he's 37, but he has shown really no signs of wear and tear, kind of, kind of like Delaney hasn't um, since he's been here. Uh, yeah, I know he's old, but I feel like he's going to play a lot of snaps, especially since both Morgan and Arakpo are gone. And I, I think you're going to be putting too much responsibility on Sharif Finch's plate uh, if you if you just bump up his snap counts by so much. I know he was really good last year, but that that was in a in a really small role. And I think I think for for a guy that 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 was drafted where or I think he was undrafted uh, to put that much on his plate I I think it's just too much uh, at this moment in time. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I'm a, a big Sharif Finch guy. I think we've talked about this a while. I, I thought the the last month and a half maybe that he was playing better than Morgan and Arakpo. And well, I mean, like I said in our in our interview, I I definitely don't mean any disrespect to Arakpo or Morgan for for their careers, but. I mean, Finch looked great. The reason he went undrafted is because he has knee issues, I believe, um, which is probably why they kept him in a yellow jersey and kind of monitored monitored him during OTAs and didn't let him really go. But, I mean, going back to the the original question, I, I mean, I would play Finch as much as I could. Like, ideally, I guess you have Cameron Wake come in and then you alternate them. So you think, okay, first and 10, that's a Sheree Finch down. All right, if they get behind the sticks, we bring in Cameron Wake because they're more likely to pass it. If they get ahead of the sticks, we leave Finch in because he's a bigger body. Like maybe may, he may not even weigh more than Cameron Wake, but he's so long limbed and he just seems to have such a solid anchor. Uh, and his and his hands aren't as refined as Wake, and we could go back and forth on you know who's the better player right now. But to keep it interesting to the past, the edges. I would say you play Finch on as many rundown, obvious rundowns as you can, and you hope that people try to get play actions in and he gets some sacks that way. And if not, you rotate him in on some third and longs. But, I mean, I, I, like I said, I mean, I'm I'm a big Finch fan. He would be my starting edge opposite Harold Landry, like period. Like not on not on a timeshare with Wake, not on a timeshare with Kamala Correa or DeAndre Walker. Like he would be my edge too. Like he's the guy I'm starting because I think he can do a lot of things. He's athletic enough to drop into coverage. He played off-ball linebacker some last year. I mean, we got to see him play a handful of snaps in the preseason really and a handful of snaps throughout the season. And he still managed to find his way in November and December onto the in onto the field because of injuries. And when he did, he was outstanding. In in, in my opinion, I, I thought he played very high compared to the standards I had set for him. So that's that's where I am on that. I want to follow up, Will, by asking you you specifically this: Do you think that it's possible that Sharif Finch has become a victim to the? Robert Spillane, Nick Williams syndrome, where he's this likable guy, he's an undrafted free agent, does well in practice, had a couple of nice plays in a preseason game, and in Finch's case, he was on the 53-man the all of last season and, and made some nice plays, but people are thinking of him higher than he actually should be thought of simply because of who he is as a person, his story, and the fact that he's an underdog. The Mark Mariani syndrome. Do you think that's that's possible? Trey McBride, another guy like that. Um, okay, so yes and no. So when you say that, when you say Mark Mariani, I, I definitely think that because he actually turned into a pro bowler. Yeah. Um, I, I think – I think Finch has shown that he's a better player than where he, I guess, wasn't drafted because he was undrafted. But there's such a difference between not even Nick Williams, but Trey McBride is kind of the historic, like, that's the guy everybody, like, you know, he's the next guy. He should be the slot receiver. He'd have 800 yards. And we're all all guilty of it. Like, he always shined in, you know, in preseason and all that. But – I mean, Nick Williams, I saw more from because I was like, that's going to be the slot because it's 2018. You should have a slot receiver who can do the things that he did against Green Bay in the preseason, and that's great. But, I mean, 
Okay, here's the thing. Finch is 6'4", 250 pounds. He, I just looked up his numbers. He ran a seven-second three-cone. He ran a, a 4'6", 40-yard dash. I mean, his athleticism, 31 broad jump, uh, I mean, his athleticism is definitely there. So it's not like he's a guy who, you know, is a real try-hard guy and is is going to, like, make it because he's scrappy. He also had one-and-a-half sacks last year, which, like, like we said, was – as more than the starters, yeah. Actually, as much and, as a Rackpo. Yeah, so you know, he had as much or more than both of the starting edges. I mean, he played special teams and was good on special teams. Uh, there, there's a, I forget the game, maybe the Jets, where he goes down the right sideline and the uh, the returner tries to cut back across field and he stays really well like in his lane and ends up making a tackle that you don't assume most you know defensive end linebacker whatever you want to call him that most edges could make at that speed and he does well like he seems to have everything you could want the biggest problem for his is he doesn't have the pedigree like they didn't the titans didn't invest a lot in him which was why i believe he's not you know farther ahead on the depth chart in everybody's mind his play is better than morgan or was last year it was better than camelay correa's even though kevin like even though camelay correa was more productive so going purely off the film forget storylines forget anything like that go purely off the film and the potential they had in the pre-draft process i mean finch should have been drafted and looks like a guy who should have been drafted so why wouldn't you play that guy it, at least yeah you know, to in the preseason, like let him like let him go against some starting right and left tackles and see how he hangs because he did well at the end of last year. Was that just fatigue from all those guys playing fourteen games before he played against him, or is he that good? I, I think he's he could be that good now. But if you have one guy on one side who gets ten sacks and another guy who gets six to seven somewhere in that range, and then you also have Casey and Simmons in the middle, that's that's a really good front four. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the No Nonsense Podcast. We want to thank you for listening. We want to thank Teresa again for joining us on this episode. Next episode, which will come out tomorrow on Thursday, we will have conversations with Roger Saffold and Adam Humphreys from Titans Training Camp. We will also be discussing perhaps more in-depth than we have so far what's happened so far in Titans Training Camps. We're going to be answering the question of what is the – biggest storyline that's good for the titans and what is the biggest storyline that is not so good for the titans so be sure to come back tomorrow for that again connect with us on twitter and facebook at no nonsense pod want to thank you guys again for listening for matthias wadner and will lomas i'm luke Warshaw, reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense